Hi, bookworms. We're super honored and excited to share that MNK Talk YA is going to be featured on Two Pods a Day for their January-February campaign. Two Pods a Day aims to introduce podcast listeners to two independent podcasts every day for the months of January and February. Discover more shows like MNK Talk YA by following Two Pods a Day on Twitter and Facebook. Two Pods a Day. Listen more. Listen indie. From the Shades of Magic series by V.E. Schwab. back to M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished the whole book, the whole series of V.E. Schwab's Shades of Magic trilogy. The last book was called A Conjuring of Light. And this is our last series of 2017. I know, that's crazy. This is like our two- 2017 project and we've done it for a whole year. We've made it a whole entire year and we've done six series. I feel like this has been one of my best New Year's resolutions coming true ever. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree. Absolutely. Mine's usually to floss my teeth more, and then I usually end up giving that up for Lent. <laughs> so I agree with you. This is one we actually stuck through, and we made it, we made it happen. Yeah. And it's been, it's been so fun. Like, I also was just worried that it would be hard for us to, like, get into a routine or find time to do it or... Not really finding books. I knew we'd find plenty of books, but running out of research ideas or something. But I feel like it's really kind of come together and we've hit a rhythm and I'm just really excited for what next year brings. Me too. I'm excited to like keep doing more with it. You know, like we're doing this giveaway or I guess we will have done this giveaway by the time this comes out. And I know we were talking about going to Book Expo this year. So yeah, there's like a lot more we can do. Yeah. And also, like, having more fan engagement. Because we always say, like, everyone can email us to let us know what series they want to read or if they want to tell us a dad joke. Um, And I hope, like, more of that happens. Yeah, I agree. And even just getting people's opinions on the books we're already reading. Like, the people who are listening and reading along. I love when people text me or message me and will just say, like, haha, I got to this part or your story was so funny or I annoyed, you know, whatever it is. But Uh it's just fun to, to hear stuff. Agreed. Okay. So, go ahead. What did you think about well the final half of A Conjuring of Light? Okay, so I think I said after the first book that I would call it an epic fail in the trilogy if I didn't get all my questions answered. <laughs> okay. And I'm really torn right now because I did not get all my questions answered, but I really, really liked the trilogy. So I feel like a sense of duty to my earlier self to be like epic fail, even though it wasn't an epic fail. But I am... Well, disappointed. Trilogy fail. Yeah, trilogy fail. Oh yeah, that's what it was. Um, trilogy fail. But um, I, I still have a lot of questions. I kind of wish I had my answers. I agree, and I felt exactly the same way. Where I felt like a little bit betrayed, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, I was like, 
But this series is everything. Like, this is such a great series. I can't call it a fail because it's so good. Yeah. But when... So, like, okay, our two questions that we had, we really wanted answered, right, was who is Kel? Where did he come from? What happened to his memory? Why? Yeah. What happened to his memory? And what happened to Delilah? Mm-hmm. Like, her backstory. How did she get this Antari eye? Yeah. Or how did she lose it? And we were so close with Kel. He had the answer in his hands and he burned it and I just was completely wrecked by that. And I was really torn because I did like that decision as a character for Kel, but as a reader, I still wanted to know. So kind of even, even you know, when um, Alucard and Rai were talking before and Rai was like, I don't want to hear your excuses about why you left kind of, or you know, like... Alucard was about to tell him why he left the first time, but Rye mm-hmm. shut him down and we were like, oh, how could we not know? But then he later told Kel and then eventually told Rye too. But right. I was like, there could be some other reveal. Like, I kind of like that Kel felt kind of comfortable enough in his identity at that point to not need that answer. But as a reader, I needed that answer. <laughs> exactly. I'm not as comfortable as Kel with his identity. <laughs> and and I, and I, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that... When um, Maris told him that these memory spells usually wear off on their own, mm-hmm. and that to him, unless you want, unless you don't want them to, so she was like, usually they wear off unless you don't want them to wear off. And I think that he kind of realized that he didn't really need or want to know who his family was, and he asked that really good question: "Is your family the ones who um, r- who rate or?" is your family the one who you're born to or is your family the one who raised you and took you in and i think he answered that question for himself and he feels like he does belong to the marish family yeah although that too i'm still a little bit struggling with because he was having again going back to kind of his identity crisis i feel like the first two books especially so much of his personal focus and growth is around sort of his role in the family and i don't I feel like he's always had such a strong connection to Rye, but he didn't even really react to the Queen and King's death in the book. Or like, I don't, like, I just, I was expecting more kind of resolution or peace there than I felt like we really got. Agreed. There isn't a lot of of, um, resolution. And like, we still don't know what the initials KL stand for on his knife. Yeah. I love (sighs) when you were like, they didn't even give him a name. Like, they didn't even give him a name. And I was really loving um, Amira's perspective. And I I was kind of sad. She was probably the one death that I was not really expecting to happen when it did. Yeah. I mean, the betrayal by the Vasquez prince and princess, I didn't see that coming either. Yeah. But But I do wish we got a little bit more of her backstory, too, because she was, in the end, became a really fascinating character. And we just got, like, glimpses of her life. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, everything, it just wasn't enough. Yeah. Although it was really cool, we got a lot of Holland's backstory. And I we wasn't did. even asking for that before we started to get it, but I loved it. I agree, too. And I loved, um, I thought it was so sad how when he was kind of ruling, not side by side, but kind of as... Um, the he was like the knight and Vortalis was the king and I really thought Vortalis was going to betray him but I did then too. I, I was so certain that was going to happen and then instead when Athos and Astrid kind of snuck up on him and poisoned him in that awful way mm-hmm. I was I was thinking like I really liked that we got Holland's, Holland's backstory but I wanted to know more about Athos and Astrid like where they came from because they just kind of appeared on the scene yeah and that's 
That's also kind of interesting to think about how, like, all you have to do in White London is kill the existing king and you're automatically the king. I guess so. (laughs) That's kind of crazy. Yep. And then even, okay, so actually I was also, it's kind of interesting to think that, I can't even remember, what's the king in, in Red London's name again? Maxim. Maxim. When Maxim died, Rye was like immediately the king, right? Like you don't, which makes sense, but it's just, it's just, um, I was thinking about like what act, like what process do you actually go through when royalty dies specifically? And so I actually read this funny article about, they have like everything planned for when Queen Elizabeth dies already. And like, there's all these steps that go into it. Yeah. The current queen of England, who's 90. One ninety-two, oh something like that, right now. Um, and not only is she still alive, but she's still like ruling. She hasn't, you know. Yeah, and she's making public part. appearances still too, which yeah. is amazing. But every time she's, every time she leaves the public eye for a minute, I feel like there's all these concerns that she's not in good health and worry mm-hmm. rises and all this stuff. And I guess um, in June 2015, there was actually a BBC reporter that tweeted that she had died when she just had like a bad cold and oh, had, no. had been um, away for like a week or something. <laughs> oh no. Do you watch but The Crown? I do. Okay. I'm partway through season two right now. So. Oh good. Okay. I just started. Oh, it, you're going to love it. I love it. It's great. But there's all these things, and this actually kind of reminds me of The Crown, um, like there's a secret code that they have to use when they're conveying the news until it gets to all the right people. Oh, wow. What's the code? Do you know it? Well, it says (laughs) Queen Elizabeth's secret code is London Bridge is down. Oh, no. But but I don't know if I believe (laughs) that if the secret code is like on this random website, (laughs) newyorkpost.com, that like they haven't changed it if that ever was it in the first place. Like, Well, they have all the, um, the code names of all the presidents online. Like, do they? Then what's the point yeah. of a code name? I know. I don't know why, but like Obama's code name, his code name is Renegade, and and Michelle's was Renaissance, and their daughters were uh, Rosebud and Radiance, and they were up like public knowledge while they were still president. And I was like, this is really cool, but why? I yeah, should be knowing it makes this, me. It actually makes me uncomfortable a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the order that people get informed though is. Um, so the Queen's private secretary, Sir Christopher Geit, is mm-hmm. the first to, to convey the news, and he has to call the Prime Minister and use this secret code. Um, and I guess this was this is especially back when they used to use switchboard operators, because they didn't want the switchboard operators to hear the news before oh, they had okay. released it, so that's why they like have this tradition of the codes. And then after the Prime Minister is alerted, then the Foreign Office's Global Response Center is supposed to inform the 15 governments that the Queen is still head of state for. So, like, Canada, Australia, the Bahamas, whatever. And then, after those 15, it's the 36 nations where she's a figurehead. Oh. And then the Press Association will send out a news alert to all of the world's media at once. So it used to be BBC would get to know first. You know, BBC has, like, kind of a tight-knit relationship with the government, I think. It's kind of in Britain. (laughs) But, um... They basically said because of social media and other modern technology, they just now have said it'll be released to everyone all at once. And there's just kind of like some other stuff. They were talking about how a lot of news reports or news companies already have like weeks of material for when it happens, you know, so that as soon as she passes, they can start like releasing these articles or segments about her life and different things that happened while she was, you know, 
growing up and probably like fashion and you know just all kinds yeah. of stuff because it's gonna happen eventually sure. um so yeah it was just kind of interesting to think about all the steps that go into it and then of course prince charles will become king charles prince william um will be the prince of wales catherine will be the princess of wales and there's supposed to be a 12 day mourning period before her funeral oh okay and then how long does the coronation take place after that um i actually didn't get that in this article but i based on what else i've seen i think it can vary um like there's not like a set time i just watched have you seen there's all these christmas movies out right now on netflix (laughs) and stuff and there's this one called the christmas prince no Um, it's like a christmas hallmark style movie except it's made by netflix but um sounds like like something i'd watch (laughs) it you should but part of the premise is like there's this prince who has one year to like take over the throne like he has one year since I forget what they call it like the period in between regions can be up to a year in length um so that's like the timeline on it and there's this prince who can't you know whatever but uh I also saw this funny thing I guess Netflix was like trolling people watching it they said there were like I don't know 50 people who've watched this movie 18 times since it came (laughs) out and they're like who are you people and what's wrong with you the cult followers (laughs) yeah and I probably got those numbers completely wrong but it was like a you know, so oh, now I have to watch it. Yeah, you should check it out. But once is probably good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been watching um, Rain. Ooh, I love Rain. Oh my god, it's so good. And I don't know how I haven't discovered it yet. Oh, I just finished it. Because I wait till it comes like I wait till the season's done and then binge watch it. So I just finished the last season like a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. Okay. The, the fourth season's already out, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. that's the last one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh my god, it's so good. I'm only on season one, but I love it because the girl Claire from Please Like Me is in it, and I love her, and I had no idea she was even in this. And then the king um, of France, it plays Valentine in the Mortal Instruments oh, uh, really? TV series, which I'm reading right now. Yeah, so That's it's just cool. funny how like you start something and then like you see the actors everywhere. Or do you ever watch... Like- so I was watching, I feel like it was something, I think I was watching like Firefly, like I had never seen Firefly, and I was watching it and I kept referring to all the actors as like their, what their, the TV shows they're in that I'd already <laughs> seen, but like obviously those TV shows came out afterwards, I'd be like, oh, it's the guy from Castle, and people would be like, no, he started here, <laughs> what, oh, you know? Right, right. <laughs> you have to like fight over who he, what he really yeah. represents. I'm like, okay, whatever, I, that's just how I know him. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, it's, that's funny. I researched a little bit about the royal family, too. Okay, what'd you um, learn? Well, <laughs> I was rereading my research today, and I was like, why did I research this? This doesn't, <laughs> this doesn't tie back to anything. <laughs> and then, I guess, so I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about Rai, too, and how after his father dies, he has to become king. Mm-hmm. But then I was also thinking, now that, Alucard is staying with the prince and we kind of said before like he Alucard seemed like he was pretty happy as a privateer and would he be okay like assuming kind of a a royal lifestyle mm-hmm. if he ends up with the prince and so I started researching bizarre rules that the royal family has to follow <laughs> <laughs> I love it okay oh, wait, I remember why I was researching this I was researching this because I was reading a lot about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle okay Who's a Northwestern alum, Meghan Markle, as am I. So basically, I'm a princess, in case you're wondering. <laughs> That's how that works, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
And she's wonderful, by the way. I'm so excited that she's marrying Prince Harry. Me too. Me too. But some of the bizarre rules that the royal family has to follow include, um, so they can't accept food or drink unless they're attending an official function because it could be poison, like in Rain, like in the first episode of Rain. (laughs) Um... Oh, this is funny. So you have to follow the queen's lead and everything. So if she sits down, you sit down. If she stands up, you stand up. And if you're eating at a meal with her, as soon as she decides she's done, everyone is done. Like the meal is over. No pressure, queen. <laughs> I know. Well, I was just, I'm a really slow eater, so I would probably starve. Because <laughs> like, as soon as she puts her fork down, everyone's done eating. It sounds like a weird, like, one of those children's games, like Simon says, but to, like, yeah. an extreme level or something. Or, like, the game where you should try to figure out who everyone's copying. Do you ever play that one? Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah, someone yeah. leaves the room and everyone's copying one person. You have to try and guess who the starter of it is, but everyone's doing it really close together. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just like that. Um, they're also not allowed to play Monopoly. <laughs> Why? So, I guess um, Char- Prince Charles' younger brother, Prince Andrew... He um, decided that no one is going to play Monopoly in the royal family because it becomes too vicious when they play it together. (laughs) That sounds like how I got kicked out of games growing up. Really? (laughs) Um, Okay, you can't sign autographs if you're a royal because someone could forge your autograph. So if Meghan Markle is an actress, she's probably signed an autograph before. So is that going to be like extremely rare and whatever now oh maybe i didn't even think about that well i mean the queen already signed off on that marriage so she's probably okay with it (laughs) but she does the queen does need to give you like a permission form to marry according to the royal law but it only applies to the six people closest in line to the throne okay but those people do have to get permission from the queen to marry so what is harry now because so it's um harry is now um all right, so the line goes Charles, William, Yep. George, and then is it all Charlotte. of William's kids? Yeah, yeah. okay. And then Harry. And then, and then Andrew is the next. Okay. But if Harry had a kid, then that kid would be yep. above Andrew. Yep. Um, oh, this is kind of funny. So I guess if the, the queen sends her guards messages with her handbag, so if she moves her purse from her left arm to her right arm, it's a hint that she's ready to leave a conversation, that she's, like, bored with a conversation, and then her <laughs> staff will intervene. And um, and I think that's just kind of funny. That, that she, is like, funny. That's smart. I need to so get James on board with things like that so that he can save me from... Bad conversations. Office parties. Exactly, yeah. Um, and then they also have to accept gifts graciously no matter what they are but the queen decides what you get to keep so i was thinking um when the vaskin prince and princess gift the marish royal family a falcon Mm -hmm. so apparently it is very common to gift the royal family live animals i guess the queen has been given sloths jaguars beavers giant turtles and an elephant as a gift and hmm. Prince George was gifted a baby crocodile that was born on his birthday from Australia, which I think is just adorable. That's adorable and funny, but it's also like one of those things like like giving someone a puppy as a gift seems like a really nice idea on the one hand because you're like, oh, puppies are so cute and blah, blah, blah. But then on the other hand, you're like, here, take care of this animal now. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you didn't ask for this. <laughs> I guess all of the animals are... Um, 
taken and well cared for by the zoo, by the London Zoo or whatever. <laughs> I guess if you're a queen, you can afford a zoo to take care of your animals. Yeah, I hope you'd be able to afford a couple elephants if you're the queen. But yeah, that was um, just my, my royal research, thinking about what, what Alucard might have to go through now. I thought he was going to die. Did you really? Like on the boat, when he was oh, all alone yeah. on the boat. Yeah, when he was like watching the fleet come in. That was horrible. I, but I was nervous. I will say that it, he his backstory is one we did get, and I was glad that we got to see the whole story play out there. That's true. Yes, I agree. I mean, it was awful, but I'm glad we kind of got the whole picture about why he had to leave Rye. Yeah, and I did feel like, you know how we were saying in the first half of this book, he wasn't like as entertaining maybe as he was in book two, and we kind of missed that about him. I did feel like he kind of came back around to himself throughout the course of this. Like, he kind of found a purpose a little bit and had more of that, like, his Kella conversations were a little bit friendlier and his Lila conversations were a little bit more book two-like. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just, I really liked him again by the end. Me too. I did feel... I did feel really bad, though, when they went to the floating market. Mm-hmm. Like, the floating black market was such a cool idea. But, oh my god, what an unfair trade. Like, I understand why he wanted the scrying board to kind of prove to Rai that he was, like, willing to make a sacrifice to kind of get back in his good graces. But four years of your life? Yeah, and also, like, if you're trying to spend your the rest of your life with like you just kind of robbed him of four years of your life too potentially you know what I mean yeah that's true and (laughs) I was just like why couldn't you just tell him what happens like why did you need to do this uh yeah I agree with that so I actually I did I also researched about black markets a little bit because I agree I thought that was one of the kind of cooler scenes in the book if I that would be my scene I think for a movie from this book Mm, okay that's a good one um, and I actually, that was another one where I just, I, like, I, I would have been happy if we spent more time there or got more background, like a short story about the last time Alucard was there would be interesting or like a backstory oh, about yeah. the coat or. Would he, would, didn't he buy his father's death? Yeah. But like okay. seeing him back then or something would have been, I don't know, just. Or see Kel being brought there by his parents. Yeah. That would have been good. Yeah. Or like I said, seeing whoever had the coat before Yeah. it got there. I don't know. But, um, so I did a little bit of research on black markets and I didn't really find any like interesting locations like a floating pirate ship, but I did find some interesting things that are sold in black markets around the world. Oh gosh. I'm nervous. Okay. So like, you know, you think of like drugs, guns, human trafficking, that kind of stuff is kind of like your typical idea of what would be sold on the black market. But, Mm -hmm. um, some other things that happen are dogs so like puppies so you, oh, you think like about yeah and how expensive well-bred dogs are these days and you can make a lot of money selling yeah dogs that haven't necessarily been well taken care of and whatnot oh that makes me sad i know um dissertations are also sold on the market. yeah so there's a lot of academic fraud i guess um and especially in russia it's a big epidemic i guess there's been more than a thousand powerful, prominent Russians have been found to have plagiarized academic work in college. Oh my so, yeah. Who writes them? I wonder. That's what I'm curious to know. I don't like, even know. who's writing these dissertations and then like selling them on the black market? I don't know, but I mean, even I remember like I never did this because I always liked writing, but um, 
seeing those like websites that would come up and you could like buy a paper on the scarlet letter oh my or whatever um, you know what i mean like things like i remember seeing things like that on the web the interweb the dark world of the internet yeah <laughs> uh let's see what's another funny one some of them you know like tiger parts but i don't want to think about that Oh my gosh, I think I read that too, because I was trying to research black markets a little bit, and then I was just like, it's too much. I know, I was reading about, like, stuff that was, like, just freaking me out or, you know. Um, But I guess there's all, there's this one kind of honey, Manuka honey. Oh. And it's produced by bees that consume pollen of the Manuka bush, which is only found in New Zealand, or the jelly bush tree, which is found in Australia. And I guess it's, it's thought to have, like, different antibacterial properties and medicinal abilities, and it's been used to dress wounds by indigenous tribes in New Zealand for a long time. Whoa. But because it's so rare, just by the fact that it can only be made in these two regions of the world, um, it's, I guess, really expensive. Um, so it's, like, $80 for a jar. And they said, well, there's no organized gang of thieves, a lot of people steal the product and resell it when they can. Um, oh. And it's just sort of, is it like, why is it illegal? Well, I guess it's illegal because you're stealing it, not illegal to, oh. like, there's just been a lot of people stealing it and reselling it. So gotcha. if you bought it at like a real spa, then it wouldn't be illegal, but. That's like, um, that reminds me of like the maggot cheese. Have you ever heard of that? No. Okay. So there's this, ma- <laughs> there's this maggot cheese. Um, it's literally a cheese that has maggots in it. And it's in Sardinia, Italy. And -hmm. it was outlawed because, well, for hygienic reasons. But you can still buy uh, buy it on the black market. And it's like this cheese that it's like beyond the fermentation stage. And there's live larva in it. And you eat the cheese along with the larva. And we'll say it's really good, but... Would you do that? Absolutely not. I just really like cheese. If someone told me it was really good (sighs) cheese... I, no. I would I would think about it. I'm not saying I would but do why? it. I'm just saying You're I would think about like, it. You're supposed to like cut it really thinly and then get like little cross sections of larva in with it and I mean, eat I, it on toast. I'd rather not know that's what I'm doing, but Ugh. I'm just saying if it, someone told me it was really good cheese, I would think about it no matter what was in it. <laughs> You'd consider it. <laughs> there was this guy in 2012 who was arrested. His name was Eric Procopi, um, and by the U.S authorities they suspected him of being a one-man black market for dinosaur fossils oh so he used to he was like he went to these excavation sites in mongolia and had been transporting some of his finds finds with a d i can't say that word right now um (laughs) to britain and then to the u.s and i guess he thought that what he was doing was legal but it was not and he made a lot of money off of this but um it wasn't until, I guess he sold something at auction for a million dollars. And that's oh when people started, like, it brought so much attention that the Mongolian authorities found out and had him arrested. And they didn't even know how big of a black market there was for dinosaur fossils until sort of this investigation. And he's facing 17 years in prison for smuggling. Oh my goodness. But these were real dinosaur fossils. It wasn't like he forged them or something. Yeah. So he would like steal them from excavation sites. And I guess, wait, no, I I didn't finish reading it. So he was, he could have been put in prison for smuggling for up to 17 years, but he was sentenced to just three months. What? That's not going to stop him. This is the weirdest one that I read about. So it's, um, the pangolin. It's a small scaly mammal 
that is solitary, nocturnal, and has no living relatives on the planet. And it's native to, like, the sub-Saharan Africa and Asia regions. Okay. And their scales are used in a lot of medicine and beauty products and even as a delicacy in some cultures. This is an animal? I've never even heard of this animal. I know. You should look it up. It looks funny. It kind of looks like a cartoon. What is it? Pangolin. Pangolin. P-A-N-G-O-L-I-N. Pangolin. Um, but I guess... <laughs> looks like an armadillo. Yeah, but it kind of looks like a... Well, at least the one I'm looking at, like, its eye is really... It looks like a cartoon almost to me. Like, just... I don't know. <laughs> I like how it can curl up really tight in a little tiny ball. Oh, there's a baby riding on his mom's tail. So it's the most <gasps> illegally trafficked mammal in the entire world. What? Just because of its scales? Yeah, so its scales are what people use oh. for like a bunch of different things. And there was one shipment seized by police in Hong Kong last year that had an estimated black market value of over a million dollars. Oh my gosh. So they must be very rare. Yeah, and a three... Well, I mean, they're only found in this you know, part of the planet, and I guess since they're solitary, nocturnal, and all this other stuff, it's probably, like, even hard to find them, even if you're over yeah. there. Oh, that's sad. But yeah, that's some of the fun stuff I read about. Well, that was interesting. I think the black market scene was definitely one of my favorites, too. I, I do feel like Lila got off the easiest. She just had to trade her broken eye for the inheritor, which seems a little unfair. Yeah, although that's another point where I wanted to know more about her backstory, because... <sighs> This was this glass eye that she's had for forever. Someone took her Antari eye and gave her this glass eye, like, mate, and this pirate lady or whatever, black market running person wanted the eye and has, like, a really good sense for it. So I'm kind of curious if it was just an eye or if Lila didn't realize its value. Well, and Uh also she gave her the other eye and said, I'm going to collect a favor. And then we never saw what that favor was. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh Yeah, I kind of... I am curious to see if she, if the Schwab comes back to this world or these characters at some point. I think she is. I think I, I, so I was like stomping around my house in like a red hot incompetent rage after I finished this book, to be honest, because I was just like <laughs> uh-huh. so torn that we didn't get the answers that we yeah. wanted. And then I calmed down and then I went on the internet and then she did say she is going to revisit the world and she has specifically addressed the favor that Lila made because okay. she was like, we still have a favor to repay. We still have a few things to work out. So then I felt much, much better. And she also ended the book with Anosh, like that um, word that means it's, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's not a final goodbye. It just means like until another day. So I was like, okay, I think she is going to revisit the world and write more. Thank God. <laughs> and it's um, going to be made into a movie. Yeah, I, I read that too. I'm really excited for that. So that'll be exciting for sure. Well, I'm just so glad because I was just like, it seems so unfair that we didn't get some of the answers because it's not like she just created this story and the the characters are only half interesting and the plot's not that great. Like, it is an incredible story and these characters are going to stay with me for so long. I'm going to have the biggest book hangover after this series Mm -hmm. and I'm just like, I will live the rest of my life wondering what happened to Cal, and I can't, like, I will never forget it. And it's so frustrating. Yeah, and, I mean, there were so many characters, and so many characters whose points of view we saw, 
But to have such big questions about the two yeah. main characters that were introduced to at the beginning and, like, never got an answer for. And they're just interesting in general because they're, you know, this rare Ontario magician breed. Like, they're... And we got so much more about Holland, mm-hmm. which, again, I had these mixed feelings because I loved it. But I was sort of like, if you're going to give me backstory, I didn't even know I wanted to know this about Holland. <laughs> like, I'm glad I know it now that I know it, but I wouldn't have missed it. <laughs> no. And, like, the only thing that made me feel a little bit better was... So I was reading um, an interview with V. Schwab, and she said, you know, the reason I didn't give a huge backstory for Lila was because Lila never dwells in the past. She's always looking towards the future. And so for her, like, it doesn't matter where she came from. It doesn't matter, you know, what her past was or what happened, because she doesn't she does not dwell in the past and to her it's not important but to your point I was like but it's important to me like I'm invested now I care about her I don't need her to tell us I want to meet whoever took her eye and get their story or I want to you know it's like it's fine and I agree like it's not really in Lila's character to a tell anyone anything about her past B dwell on her past C you know I mean like that makes sense to me but I just thought we would there'd be some tie to it somehow or or whatnot. And speaking of her past and potential more in this world, what is going on in Grey London at the end of this? Oh my gosh, I was concerned about that too because I really thought that Ned, our little enthusiast, was going to play kind of a big role at the end. And I thought we'd see kind of a, a power shift between magic coming back to Grey London and maybe leaving Red London. We didn't really see any of that. We just saw, like, Kel brings him the inheritor at the end that holds a siren and he's like watch this for me and then he leaves yeah but also the prince came to him and kind of left weird after he had sort of had this like haunting right at right the bar so i i kind of felt like maybe one of these black london demon things it like was opening a door to something yeah i thought that too but then didn't he say the voices left yeah when the prince left which is why i'm wondering if they left with the prince not like I don't like I just I I felt like and even just a little bit of backstory we got about the prince like there's there's so much that could happen in gray London right now maybe she'll address that in her another in her other book yeah I would I would like that and I'm a little bit nervous that they put the inheritor in gray London couldn't we just go through it in black London again no nothing good comes out of black London yeah but let's just leave it in black London and Get the hell out of Dodge. That makes me more nervous than leaving it with Ned, because I feel like Ned will watch that really well. I feel like Ned will, but I feel like Ned is not, like, he'll be able to tell you that someone came and stole it. He won't be able to prevent someone from stealing it. That's true. That's true. So I saw Hamilton this weekend in Chicago. Ah, how was it? And it was amazing. It was so good. I took my mom for her birthday. That's awesome. And I was just laughing so hard because... King George is in it. So, like, the Mad King George from these series is in the play. And I was just dying because he sings this really funny song. And in it, one of his lines is, when you leave, I'll go mad. And then I just started, like, laughing uncontrollably in the theater because I was like, oh, my God, he really does go mad. Like, that happened. (laughs) And it was just kind of really funny to, like, think of these books when I was watching that. Again, it's cool that Great London wasn't, uh, we didn't really spend a lot of time there in the whole trilogy, even the first book when we were kind of there for a while. But it is cool that it ties, it is our world. It's not like another version of, you know, like, I mean, we have the historical figures. Yeah, and we have it's it. historically accurate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. Oh, 
So, all right. Were you surprised about how the book ended? Which part? With, like, the final um, showdown between a siren and the three Antari and the rings, the binding rings? Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, I don't think I would have predicted it early on, but I felt like it flowed to me. What, what were you unhappy with or surprised by? Well, I guess I wasn't so much unhappy with the ending, like how they found the rings and they used it to contain him. I think what kind of bothered me was I didn't, I didn't like the way the king and queen died. Yeah, I agree. Before that, especially the king, like I just thought his, cause he kept, we kept hearing that he was, you know, doing this spell and I was really interested to know what the spell was going to be. And I thought that he was going to play more of a role in helping to bring down a siren. And instead, you know, he just made these like metal soldier people and just like walked out of the castle and he stopped, he didn't even stop him for like a little bit. Like it made no difference. And I was just kind of upset with that because I was like, I thought, I think King Maxim is a lot smarter than that, than to think that he could use this spell and take down a siren just by himself. And I, it was just kind of a senseless death to me. Well, and the other thing that bothered me about it was I kind of respected the idea of like using metal soldiers who couldn't be mind controlled and, you know kind of doing what the inheritor is supposed to do, trapping him and then killing him, kind of, mm-hmm. like, the idea I didn't hate so much as the timing. Hit, oh, yeah. He's, he's such a, like, politician and understands the dynamics between these different countries, and one of the countries just killed his wife, almost killed him, like, turned on him. Rye's not really ready to rule. I mean, he definitely rose to the occasion, but, mm-hmm. I mean, I just felt like, and then being like, oh, see ya, son, I'm gonna yeah. go... Like, I just, that was what bothered me about it, the timing more than anything. Because he just lost his mom. Mm-hmm. And so now's the time to be like, well, you know, now it's my time to go to. And it was just like, why couldn't you just work together to come up with a plan instead of falling on your sword and becoming this, I don't know, and like trying to do it yourself? Or wait like a minute and say goodbye to your son for real. Like, yeah. I get that you wrote him a letter, but. That's not enough. Yeah. And I also was curious about those letters, especially the one he wrote to Kel. Maybe that would have Ooh, revealed something. Yeah. Maybe we'll get to read that. Maybe. I, she better write this next series. <laughs> I will never forgive her if she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought the timing was poor. I was glad that Cora made a threat to the crown. Remember, I would think I was saying it in one of our earlier conversations. I was like, having these three empires staying in this castle like someone needs to make a move Move. a stupid move when everything else is you know the whole world's at risk but still I like that too because remember I said I didn't want to like her yeah (laughs) so I was really glad I I got a good reason to hate her (laughs) yeah although I almost wish well I guess it was kind of her scene with the king was good but after the interaction between her and Rai I think it would have been interesting if she had been the one downstairs who killed the queen and said something to Rye. Although, you think she would have known that Rye couldn't be killed after their, after she saw the scar and stuff. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Though that was like a rumor, I guess. Maybe she yeah, wasn't sure true. of it. Yeah. And I even under, I kind of like sympathized with her. Like, yeah, she was sixth or seventh in line for the crown. This is her. Yeah. Like, she really did take advantage of the situation in a good way. It just, I'm glad it also failed. <laughs> and I like how her mother was like, I had nothing to do with this. I don't condone her actions. You have my permission to to kill her. Yeah. Oh. That was kind of crazy. That was. But that was like a political move too. Sure. Yeah. Totally true. But 
Because I, but I thought it was interesting that the, um, the queen was like, the only thing I hate worse than a betrayer is a failure. Yeah, she yeah, was yeah. like, she couldn't even follow through with what she planned to do. And kind of similarly, Cora ended up um, taking her own life yeah. to like die with some honor, I guess, or whatever. But oh yeah, because didn't she paint? Um, what did she paint like above her jail cell? It said like yeah, I forget. It was like honor or something. It, like it was that. something like honor, but I don't remember what the word. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. I also liked, um, I, sh- I was going to research this and I forgot to, I liked um, whenever the sea serpents attack the ship, like when Lila and Alec oh, are yeah. there, um, they're on board and they're, they like just finished practicing with their rings and, and like Jasta gets Lila really drunk. And I love the idea of the mm-hmm. sea serpents that right before they attack, they sink their own ships because they're so confident that they're going to take yours. It's so cocky, but it also, I guess, gives you that, like, everyone there has, they only have one option, which is, like, then, of course, you're going to fight to the death if you have nowhere Mm -hmm. else to go. You can't be like, oh, okay, bye, (laughs) we'll leave now. It's such a good tactic to inspire fear, too. Yeah. But I did, I was sad that, um, Hastra died. I know, except I also kind of loved, like, I thought his death was a good death still. I was more sad about, um... What's the other pirate guy who's kind of scared of Lila? Yeah, it's kind of more sad that he died without, like, any, like, just, he just died. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, he didn't, like, do anything or help anyone. Yeah. Hofstra was really sad, but I just, I felt like it was kind of a nice parallel of he was going to get out of this role of being a guard and kind of build something, but his last act was the best thing he could have done as a guard for Kel. Yeah. I thought it was so sad, though, that one of the last things he said was, I think I'm ready to become a priest. I know. And it was just like, oh, broke my heart. I was reading, I also read some interviews with V.E. Schwab, and she was talking about how she loves to torture her readers, basically. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. And, or torture her characters. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think it's a little bit of both, because when you're doing... One, you're kind of doing the other. But, I feel um, very tortured right now, just so you know. <laughs> she did say, like, if you kill a character... She doesn't like to kill them unless she has to, because once you kill them, you can't torture them anymore. Direct quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she also wanted people to, like, earn their endings and all of this stuff. But I just thought that was funny. Uh, I guess her editor read that scene where the Dane twins were back and killed... Kind of that scene you were just talking about. They killed... Um, Holland's like one friend in the world and all this oh, stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> the editor just said, You're damaged when she read that scene, oh, no. I guess, because she was like enjoying it so much. It um, was a brutal scene with like the metal shards and the poison. Ooh. Yeah. So many just great little details in this book that she didn't have to include, but just made it such a richer story. Yeah, and I'm definitely, I want to read more of her work. I do too. I haven't read anything else by her, but I'm really curious now. She also talked about how the one, like, uh, what's it called, fantasy element that she doesn't really like or would get rid of in her world is the love triangle, She's, which I guess is also kind of a really big thing in young adult fiction, too, I think, yeah. you know. I'm glad there wasn't one here. Yeah, so she said, and she even was talking about how Kel and Lila aren't in love. That wasn't a romantic pairing. Like, yes, they have a bond with each other, and there's like some kind of track attraction there, but the only true romantic pairing was um, Alucard and Rye. And even that wasn't easy. Like there was a lot of damage there and a mm-hmm. lot to overcome. 
And, and she said, and I love this, I always joke that in my books, my characters getting together is something that happens after the world has been saved, not in the middle, because priorities. <laughs> yeah, that's so right. We were talking about that. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I, I like, I feel like she's an author that I would have a really good time, like, having dinner with. Yeah, Which I think I most of these authors, I would not say no to dinner with, but her especially, I feel like some of what I read about, I was like, you're, you're good people. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely a really good writer and has come up with a really, really interesting world for us. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, all the characters are so fun and complex and you really care about them. Yep. And think about how far we came. I was just thinking about it because honestly, the first book I liked, but I didn't love Mm, and was kind of standalone. The second one was my favorite. And I just, yeah. And I just, the first book, I didn't feel like enough was going to happen. And like, just to like compare that to the third book, I'm like, well, what was I thinking (laughs) back then? And then the second book was exciting. The stakes were raised, but it was still kind of fun. Like the third book was really kind of dark in a good way, but you know, like the second book with the tournament, like the, it wasn't as much life or death. It was but still high stakes kind of and whatnot. And then this third book, just so much happened. Yeah. yeah and like, you really didn't know what was going to happen until the last page. Like even at that last showdown, when like Rai goes to the dark palace and meets a siren and he's like, oh, I love that scene where he's like suspended in ice. That might be mm-hmm. one of my, like my scene that I want to see made into a movie. Um, but even then, I was just like, which of the Antari are going to get to the Inheritor first? Like, is this even going to work? Yeah, especially when Holland was blind, and yeah. I was like, uh-oh. I mean, I kind of suspected it would be Holland, just because... Well, but Holland Holland was kind of the plan. Yeah. Which is why I was like, I know I'm, I want that, and that makes sense, but it's also the plan, so the plan does not always work in this case. And when do we ever get what we want? Yeah. <laughs> She talked about um, also, like, all the deaths that happened. Like, you know, six major characters died in 40 pages or something. <laughs> and um, But she said she always writes the endings of books first. And there was only one death that she didn't want to happen. And I think she was talking about Holland because she also talks a lot about how Holland's one of her favorite characters to write and explore. And, you know, kind of that change from being an antagonist to more of a protagonist and all of that um, mm-hmm. was just, like... I think an enjoyable experience for her as a writer getting to know him better. Yeah, I didn't... And she, she said she could have written a whole book about him, but instead, obviously, she just incorporated his backstory into this one. I didn't even really understand how he died, though. He kind of just closed his eyes and that was it. Yeah, but I also got the feeling that he was old and that, like, Antari magic helps you, I think, because you're connected to elements in life and, like, it's hard to kill an Antari, right? Mm-hmm. So he's already, like, died once. I kind of felt like once he lost his magic... Like, everything else just kind of... Yeah, that's a good point. ...caught up to him. That's how I was imagining it. But it was still a peaceful death, which was... Finally. Yeah, that's I was like, he's finally at rest. Like, Mm -hmm. that's really the best outcome that he could have at this point. Because, honestly, if he didn't die, what would he even do? What would he do? (laughs) I have no idea. Go work at the stone's throw? I don't know. (laughs) Or whatever it is in White London. Yeah. (laughs) I felt... It was kind of weird, too, how Kel didn't get his ring off in time when the Inheritor was, like, sucking oh, yeah. in all their power, and now, like, using his magic is painful to him. Mm-hmm. I was, I'm just, like, I just wonder what's going to happen with that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of how we left Kel and Rai connected in the other book. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like there's, like, a connect. I don't know. But, yeah. Lots of questions about how all this magic works. It all has consequences. 
The other character I would like more backstory on, but I don't feel like I needed it, but if we're going to keep going in this world, I would like it, would be Tiernan. Oh, yeah. Like, how did he start serving the royal family? Why? Yep. Because he said he served, what, three generations or something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if she'll even just do short stories, a little bit, like, some more short stories, just to kind of fill in these gaps, too. Or she can just come to dinner with us and just tell me everything. Oh, please. Hey, anytime you're in Chicago or Atlanta, we'll go anywhere you want. Whatever works for you, the Ijwab. <laughs> yeah, or you can just invite us. I'll show up. I already <laughs> do that. If you invite me somewhere, I tend to arrive. Especially so. if it's a famous author. <laughs> yep. <laughs> did, I, did I tell you I went to a... Um, so I have a friend from college who... One of People's Choice Award is does that um, video series on BuzzFeed that was called Wine About It. Oh, He's I now not on that. BuzzFeed anymore, but he used to just, like, get drunk and complain about stuff, and it, like, became this big YouTube sensation. <laughs> but he was touring doing um, stand-up and promoting his book that he wrote, so I went to go see him when he was in Atlanta, and I was like, oh, now I know an author. For oh, months. that's so cool. <laughs> Did he sign yeah. your book? Actually, everyone in the audience got a signed copy. Oh. So, yes, he did, but not like I didn't feel that special. I mean, I felt special, <laughs> but like it wasn't like, oh, because I knew him, I got a signed book. But that's actually really cool. And it was just, it was also funny because I was like, like I've known him since college and I think he's funny and stuff, but like even when I saw his show, he was always like my friend to me, right? Mm-hmm. But I was sitting at this table with like these ladies who are like 10, 15 years older than me and they're just like fangirling so hard oh. about him. And I was just like, this is so cool. Like, I know him. And, and I know you. Yeah. And you're just, you're kind of a normal person. I mean, you know, as crazy as everyone else, but. I think it takes a pretty special person to write a book, I have to say. Oh yeah. No, can't imagine that's it's true. Easy. So what do we want to rate this book? Oh, and what are we rating it out of? Out of London's? Should we rate it out of four yeah, London's? Yeah, that's four London's. <laughs> And we already said our fan name is We're Gonna Be Enthusiasts. Not the Netheads. <laughs> Not the Netheads. <laughs> okay, how many Londons are you giving this book? The book or the series? The series, right? Uh, series, series. I think I'm gonna go with three and a half Londons. Okay. But if she adds in enough short stories, I would bump it to four. Okay. I'm gonna go with three. Okay. That sounds so harsh for as much as I loved this book. Well, it's hard. Four is hard too because it's like not that much. Yeah, yeah. My big thing was those questions that weren't answered, and I'm just like on a like book high right now. But when I think, like I said, when I think about it, I didn't really like the first book that much. I didn't dislike it. I just like it definitely got better for me. I think the introduction of Alucard really helped because he was just. I think he's my favorite character because he's a pirate and he's gonna be a he's dating a prince slash king. So. He's my kind <laughs> so of guy. So he's going to be a pirate prince. <laughs> I know. I was really glad that they ended up together. That made me so happy. If that hadn't happened, I would have been just destroyed. Well, and again, I think Fry really grew throughout this book. He went from he sort did. of this spoiled, fun-loving, entertaining character to kind of a confused, tortured kind of character trying to figure Angsty out his role to really growing into what it means to be king and how he could use his situation to help people, you know? Yeah. And that was really great to watch. Yeah. I think, yeah, he was one of the best, like his, I didn't have a lot of questions left. I felt I really respected where he ended up. Like that was a really Mm -hmm. good story all the way around. I agree. (sighs) Yeah. I'm just, it's going to be such a big book, book hangover after finishing this. 
Well, okay, we talked about next week or our next episode will be kind of a reflection on the year before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Before we we're go into our next We're going to do a season one series. recap. Yep. Oh, season one. That means we're going into season two. Wow. Season two. It's going to be bigger and better and... With more books. I was going to say more characters and I was like, wait a minute, no, there's just us. <laughs> there can be super more fans. More super fans, yeah. Definitely more super fans. If you want to be a super... That's another thing, you guys. We'll take dad jokes, book recommendations, or super fans. <laughs> yeah, if you want to be a super fan, email us. We're mm-hmm. at ya at gmail.com. The and is spelled out, A-N-D. Um, yeah, we'd really like to hear from you, so email us. Definitely. Do you want to talk about our next series? Yeah. I'm excited about this one. hmm Because I would say this is one of the ones that made us want to do the podcast. Yep. Did you want to, okay, you can say it. No, I just, I'm looking, I have all the books out on my desk right now, and I forgot how much I love the covers. Oh, I know, they're gorgeous. Yeah. But I just remember reading this with you, and this was like years ago, and I remember we like scheduled a phone date so we could actually talk about this book because we loved it that much. And I think it was like the first series once I left Chicago that we kind of read at the same time or like, you know, Mm -hmm. started around the same time, so... We used to always just talk about books at lunch, and that, I think that's also what helped our friendship be about books long distance. Totally. So, so yeah, so spoiler alert, we have read this, but it's been a while. Oh, a long time. Yeah. yeah. But it's the Daughter of Smoke and Bone trilogy. I actually, what's the trilogy called? Mm, I don't know. The first one's called Daughter of Smoke and Bone. By Lonnie Taylor. And I guess it's a trilogy. Um, and the book covers are really, really cool, so check them out. They're absolutely gorgeous. And there are a couple short stories, I think, too. Oh, are there? I didn't Which I actually haven't read. Yeah, I haven't read those either. So that's something new to look forward to. But I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to revisit this world. I really feel like I don't, especially because we've had so many, like, young adult fantasy, sci-fi type stuff. I don't even really remember many details about this book, except that when I left the world, I had a huge book hangover and like needed to talk about it more I know and I went down such a wormhole with fan art because I was just like these characters are so interesting looking like I have to see how people are drawing them and that actually helped a lot cool okay so we're reading The Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lenny Taylor and where are we going to read for the first book we're going to read up to chapter 31 it's called Write I'm so excited okay and there's actually not that much on the back cover but I'll read it for you who is the daughter of smoke and bone From master storyteller and National Book Award finalist, Lonnie Taylor, comes a sweeping and gorgeously written modern fantasy about a forbidden love, an ancient and epic battle, and hope for a world remade. That's it. Oh, okay. (laughs) That was short. Yeah, they didn't really give us much to go off of. But forbidden love, (laughs) epic battle, I'm in. (laughs) Sign me up. Okay, so, wow, this is going to be our last full episode of the year. I feel like the word anosh is, like, really coming into play here. Yeah. Because it's like, until until we see each other again. But before we part, we have to get a joke, Marissa. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't forget, I promise. Um, okay, so we're going to be posting this around Christmas time, so I have a Christmas joke for you. Okay, perfect. Okay. What did Mrs. Claus say to Santa Claus when she looked up in the sky? Uh, you're late for work? I don't know. Looks like rain, dear. (laughs) (laughs) 
anyway, happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> My dad is totally going to use that one if he hears it. So, yeah, that's a good one. All right. Well, we'll see you in 2000. Well, we have another episode next week, but. Yeah. And it'll be a fun episode. You wouldn't have had to have read all the books. And, and we're going to tell you, like, things we learned about every series since we've read. Like the latest news and updates. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, Anosh. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.